When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ken Boss served as a local church pastor for 27 years, and he currently teaches in Tabor College's Masters of Education program in neuroscience and trauma. He's the founder and CEO of the Institute for Discipleship Training, and he's the author of Unhindered Abundance, a book exploring the process of how we grow and develop into the image of Christ. Ken, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kirk. It's great being with you. And it's so great to have you right here in person. Yes, I much prefer this. Yeah, I do too. Particularly uh, when we're talking about discipleship and we're, we're talking about the need for uh, having f- good friends, wise friends, mature friends to be able to learn from. Yeah, spiritual growth always happens in the context of relationships. So relationship is a key. Ken, you've been a pastor for uh, almost a few decades now. And part of your your job is discipleship coach. Mm. Can you help us understand what does that mean? So it, it's just the opportunity to come alongside of guys that are really wanting to go to a deeper place of intimacy with Jesus. And these are Christian businessmen, most of them. Uh, I also work with a lot of pastors, just encouraging them and coming alongside of them because I, I know the pressures of ministry and the difficulties that ensue. So it's, it's more just coming alongside as a friend and a mentor and a coach to encourage them in their faith. And very often that includes just some of the things that may be going through currently that are mm. difficult or maybe from some past pains and traumas that they've yet to process, that they come to a realization that, you know, maybe there's something there that needs to be worked through as well. So I get to apply just all my training and, pre- and just, uh, things that I enjoy in regard to the things that I've learned and the things that I've experienced in those various relationships. There's so many books out there on discipleship. Uh, what you described to me sounds like uh, you're a good friend who's been down the road and you're helping other guys uh, sort of come down the road and show them the ropes too. But, but give us a, a simple but accurate definition. What is discipleship? So you're probably going to get a different opinion from each person you would ask. The way that I see it, Kirk, is that it's the process of becoming more like Jesus. It's focusing on character, not just information, but becoming Mm. like Jesus in his character and in his quality of life, which I would refer to as abundant. Mm. So it's learning how to become more like Jesus, not just uh, filling my head with theology or data and information about how stuff works. It's actually making me into a different kind of person. Yeah, the, and, and the, the learning, though, happens in the context of relationship. So Jesus invited the disciples to come be with him, mm. to learn from him. The way that God designed our brains is that our character is actually formed in the context of those that we are the most bonded to. So it's in that context of relationship. Mm. So think of it like this. One of Jesus' teachings was to love your enemies. So he brought the disciples along 
so that they could watch him model what it looks like to love your enemies. And then, of course, they heard him teaching that in various contexts. Yeah. And then he gave them opportunities to practice, right? I'm thinking of James and John with the Samaritans. Yeah. And then when they didn't get it right, he would come alongside and he'd say, okay, guys, here's where you got that wrong, but this is who we are. And so he would remind them of who we are, who you are as my followers. So in Jesus' day, disciple was a learner but it wasn't just learning what your rabbi knew, it was actually becoming like your rabbi in his character. Mm. And so that's why I see discipleship as this, this dynamic relational process whereby we are becoming through the work of the Holy Spirit more and more like Jesus in his character and quality of life. So really what you're saying is that parenting is a form of discipling our kids. Absolutely. And I, I think, boy, we may say, I, I, I don't really, have an opportunity to disciple people. I'm not discipling anybody. Well, if you're a parent, you are. Yes. Because what do we want from our kids is not just for them to be able to uh, get into an Ivy League school. We want them to have the character of Jesus first and foremost. And we get to model that for them. And we don't always do it perfectly, right? But when we don't get it right, then we're able to come alongside and repair. We're able to come alongside and, and apologize. And so they're learning how to be human beings, literally, through our, our example. Mm. I love that. Can, can you explain the difference between evangelism and discipleship? Because both are important. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, well, they kind of go hand in hand in, in, in one sense because the Great Commission, Jesus said to go and make disciples, baptizing them, right? So that would be the, the kind of the evangelism part of the process and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so the teaching though, isn't just in a dynamic way where I am communicating information and knowledge to you. The teaching comes in the, again through the context of relationship. When, when the apostle Paul talks about uh, knowing God, the word that he uses, the Greek word he uses includes information, but it also includes experience. And so it's not just knowing about God, it's knowing God. And so. Evangelism is proclaiming the gospel, right? The good news mm. that your sin has been taken care of if you put your faith in Jesus who paid the price for your sin on the cross. But it's not just about heaven, right? This new life begins at the moment of salvation. And it's a life now that we are, we actually take on a new identity. We are a new creation mm. in Christ. We are now filled with the spirit of the living God, which is like a, that's a mind blower. We have a, uh, we have a new desire, a set of desires, right, to follow him and mm. a new relationship to love him. And so all of the obedience that comes out of that is an obedience that is motivated by love. And, and it's this character formation process that we have been invited into that leads to what I believe is the abundant life. So, you know, I think a lot of people think that to become a Christian is to get an address in heaven. And of course that's true, but it's so much more than that. It's mm. like, you know, it's like the Ginsu knife commercial. It's like, but wait, you know, for 1995, right? You're gonna get two sets. So there's so much more that's available to us in Christ than just going to heaven when we die. So Ken, what about somebody who says, you know, I'm just, um, I, I like to just read my Bible by myself in the morning. I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to some, some sermons or, or, you know, have a little quiet time with Jesus, but I don't really like people. You know, I don't really want to be around people. You know, I like my dog and uh, my cup of coffee and my, and my Jesus calling. Yeah. But 
people not so much. Is that okay? Can I, can I be properly sanctified that way? I would say no. And here's why. Because God didn't design the character formation process to happen outside of a relationship. So think, think about it this way. The only thing that God said wasn't good in the garden was that Adam was alone. So God has created a need for relationship with him and relationship with others so that we essentially become conduits of God's love and grace to one another. And so mm. relationship is essential. And he also created our brains to work in such a way that the right brain is largely responsible for character formation and that happens in the context of relationship. It doesn't happen in the left brain, which is the information and strategy and you know the, the more tactical things that we can measure. Mm. And so it's not that we want a left or a right brain Christianity, we want a whole brain Christianity. But it's interesting when you think about it from a, from a neuroscience standpoint, that God actually created our brains to work in the way that Jesus modeled for us that, that forms character. And it's hard to measure and it's messy, right? Just look at the disciples. After three years with Jesus, these guys were still a bunch of knuckleheads, right? So, but there was progress. And that's, that's what we've been invited into. We've mm. been invited into a relationship, a new life, to experience joy and love and peace and patience that we can't experience in the same way outside of that relationship. And you're, and you're saying that, I, I, I think I'm hearing you say that, that's as important as evangelism. Oh, uh, of course, yes it is. It is? You can't, I don't, I don't think you can have one without the other. I think we get in trouble when we try to separate what, those what, What's wrong with saying, well, but, the, the, but there are people out there who are lost. I have no time to sit around and hang with, hang with the boys and you know, talk about uh, patience when there's an urgency to get people saved out there. Well, I would agree with that there's, there's an urgency for that and that evangelism is important. But again, Kirk, we gotta go back to what I think Jesus is talking about. When, he's, when the gospel is, is the good news about going to heaven when you die, and if that was all there was, that would certainly be enough. But there's so much more. It's the gospel of the good news into a new life, into the kingdom of God into a way of experiencing life that God created us to experience in relationship with him mm. and with others. And so it's, it's, God didn't make it so that it was enough to be alone. He created the need for relationship because he's a relational being, right? He's, he's existed for all eternity yes. in the triune community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are creating his image and likeness as relational beings. Yeah. And so we need that relationship and he's just designed it that that relationship is the context through which we grow and are formed. You teach at a college about neuroscience and trauma. Um, how does understanding these things uh, help with discipleship in a Christian community? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I would say primarily it's because what keeps people stuck from, their, from growth and experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has made available to them is unresolved emotional pain. And trauma creates parts of us, if you will, that kind of mm. break off and get isolated. And those parts lie dormant until they get triggered by something right. current. And then it's like a beach ball underwater. It just comes rocketing to the surface and then creates this, this circle of collateral damage. Uh, and usually 
includes the people that we love the most. And so very often the reason that people are stuck in their faith is because of unresolved emotional pain. And then it's like what we talked about a few minutes ago back in the dressing room. Uh, often pain causes me to reach for something to numb or to cope with it that is sinful, right? This addiction, and addiction can be numerous things. Right. And those then quench and grieve the work of the Spirit in my life, which I think the Holy Spirit's primary role in my life is this character formation process mm. that we're talking about. So if, if there's sin in my life, then that's gonna create a barrier, right, to that process. And so we need to be able to identify those traumas. We need to work through them so they don't keep us stuck. Ken, this, this is so important and this is so helpful. We're gonna take a short break, but when we come back, we're gonna discuss what churches can do to put discipleship back on the forefront of people's minds. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back. We're talking with Ken Baugh from the Institute for Discipleship Training to understand what healthy discipleship looks like for the family of faith and how we can make it a primary focus of the church. Before we talk about the church, uh, I want to know, what are some ways that we as parents who love our children, who want to impart godly character to our kids, what are some ways that we can better disciple our children? Honestly, the greatest thing that we can do, Kirk, for our kids and grandchildren, I have grandchildren now, is model for them our love for Jesus. And because what we do, they see. And we may not think they see it, but they do. They're watching. Let me just give you an example. So my grandparents had a huge part of, of raising me. But I remember every night before I would fall asleep, I had a direct line of sight to my grandpa's side of the bed. And every night before I'd fall asleep, I would see him reading his Bible. And it instilled a love for God's word in me that I still have to this day. And I gotta be honest, I did wonder if he was a slow reader because he never seemed to finish it, right? Just <laughs> reading it all the time. But that was a model, that was an example for me. And so he modeled Jesus for me in a way that I couldn't learn it in any other way. Just in a similar way, I think that Jesus modeled the Father for us. Right, if you wanna know what God the Father is like, mm. look at Jesus. Yeah. He was, he was God who became flesh and dwelt among us. So maybe the, maybe the incarnation is a paradigm for us in thinking about how we disciple our kids. Mm. Is that we are modeling for them, we are embodying for them the character of God. So if, if we as parents don't disciple our kids, if the church is not discipling those in their congregations, will they get discipled by somebody else? Yeah, but it won't, be, it won't be discipled as a follower of Jesus. So when we go back to the New Testament, there were many disciples in the New Testament. The Pharisees referred to themselves as the disciples of Moses. John the Baptist had disciples as well that then followed Jesus. So mm. the, the idea of a, of a rabbi and a disciple is to become like your rabbi. And there were many different ways of, of many different rabbis. You know, Paul was a, a student of Gamaliel. And so uh, if we don't initiate and lead our children and our examples for our children, then they will pick that up from someplace else. Yeah. And that's what we don't want them to do. How do you find a good mentor to disciple you? Uh, I remember as a, as a young Christian thinking like, wow, I, I wish I had somebody to show me the ropes. I want a Gandalf that can just sort of guide me so that I don't, uh, you know, 
fall off a cliff. And, and, and yet good mentors, I think, seem to be hard to find. Well, I think one of the reasons that's true is because most people don't think that they're qualified to be a mentor. Right. Because they think being a mentor means that I have to have... Obi, you got to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Exactly. You got to be Gandalf. You got to yeah. be a guru I gotta, in these I got to know my Bible backwards and forwards. I can't have any mistakes in my life. I can't... And that's, that's the fallacy of that, is that we're, we're talking about velveteen rabbit kind of mentors, right? Mm -hmm. That are real, that have some bruises, that have experiences that we can relate to. And so I think a lot of the mentoring connection is chemistry and is a, a, a way of relating to somebody who's been through things that I have been through. So I think some of the best mentors, Kirk, are those who have gone through you know, pain and suffering that, that I've been through and now I get to mentor to them out of what God mm. has done in my life through that. And so I think that's one of the ways God redeems our pain is by allowing us to come alongside of others who are experiencing the same thing. Ken, what do you think is the Holy Spirit's role in discipleship? Do we disciple people or does the Holy Spirit do that? Or is he doing it through us? Yeah, yes. Okay, which, which? <laughs> yes, yeah. yes to all of that. Yes to all that. So let, let's put it this way. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of change in regard to our character, mm. right? Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? That our transformation comes through the Father who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one that grows us. You and I can't grow ourselves, but we can be intentional about creating an environment where growth takes place. I like to use the example of a farming analogy. A farmer can't make the crop grow. Right. But what can he do? Well, he can plow the soil and plant the seed and water the seed and fertilize the seed, and then, this, then it grows. So the growth part is the Spirit's job. Right. My part is being, is being in partnership with the Spirit. Now, it's yeah. a limited partnership, right, to be true, right. but it's still a partnership because God is inviting me into yeah. Amen. doing this with Him. I, think of it like this. It's not about living my life for God. That sounds right. It's living my life with God. Hmm. That one word difference between for and with is everything because it's about relationship. It's about relationship. And that's what God says when he tells us his name is Emmanuel. Yeah. It's God with us. God's not just for me. He's not just cheering me on, rooting for me in my corner. He's actually with me. Yes. And he says, I'll, I'll never leave you. Yes. I'm going to send the Spirit, uh, the Comforter, and he'll be with you. Yes. Uh, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Yes. That sounds like everything you're talking about right now. Well, and, you know, this, this relational dynamic that we're talking about here, Kirk, has reshaped my understanding of pain and suffering and why God doesn't just snap his fingers mm. and fix everything. Because he could if he wanted to. Of course he could. But, but I think one of the reasons why he doesn't is because he, he wants to go through that with us. How can I know that God is my provider if I'm never in need? How can I know that God is my comforter if I'm never in pain? So it seems like at least in this life, one of the ways that we get to know the character of God is through contrast that he can be something for us in a season of pain and difficulty and hardship that he can't be for us otherwise. Mm. Because he's, he's, his desire is for greater connection and intimacy and relationship with us. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to make that possible. 
there are so many tools out there that are really helpful in the discipleship process, yeah. right? We can go online and there's, you know, there's master classes in this subject and podcasts that. Podcasts. There's, right, podcasts and books, um, television programs. So, so how can leaders effectively use these kinds of tools without neglecting the personal one-on-one -on -one stuff? Well, I do that all the time, right, with the guys that I coach, is that there'll be, a, there'll be a book that I really think has got some great insights and helpful, so I'll have them read a chapter, and then when we get together, we discuss that. And very often, something will come out of that that will take us down the road of getting to know God more intimately or dealing with an issue that they're dealing with. So I would say that all of those tools that we have available to us are, are, are awesome and are helpful, but let's use them in the context of relationship. Yeah, and do you find that discipleship is best one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, well, how many, how many mm -hmm. people can you be discipling? Can I like, hey, let's have three, four guys get together. Jesus had 12, yeah. but did he go off with just one? And that's really just... So I do what's called triad. So I'll have uh, two guys, so there's three, including myself, and then I do a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. But I think Jesus modeled that, right? So think about Jesus had the 12, Right? He had the 70, and you know, so he had like different concentric circles of relationships. And then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. And then it even seems like he had a different relationship with John. So Jesus had relationship and was, was mentoring, if you will, in a broad way to the, to the crowds and the multitudes, but also in the smaller uh, context of relationship. I think the Apostle Paul did the same thing. You know, Paul had Timothy, he had Titus, he had Silas, he had Priscilla and Aquila. He had different relationships with different groups of people. So I do think that you can, I don't think that you can disciple uh, a crowd of a thousand people. Mm. Because there needs to be life rubbing off on life. Mm. So I think the smaller the context, the more I rub off on you and you rub off on me. And that's what we saw Jesus doing. Exactly. Like you said, he <clears throat> Jesus the, did not pursue the crowds. No, the crowds pursued him. Yes. But he went off into the wilderness yes. either to be with God yes. or to be with that small circle of friends. There is something, particularly if you get together with, with older guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have guys that are older than me that are really my best friends mm -hmm. because, like you said, they, they've been down the road and they can help show the, show the ropes. That creates a context, Kirk, that just you know, teaching a Bible study is gonna have it, and I'm, and I'm not down on teaching Bible study, don't, don't hear me wrong, <clears throat> but it's gonna create a different result because of the relational dynamic and how God created change in character to take place. Do you think that uh, discipleship is maybe uh, an even more effective way to reach someone with the gospel who may have been hurt by the church in, in the past? You know, rather than saying, hey, come to church with me, and they're like, get away from me, I know you, I, I don't like you church people. If you just start hanging out with somebody and in the context of a relationship uh, with a common interest, maybe that's even a better way to reach them with the gospel. Well, again, I think it's gonna, I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's gonna depend on that person's experience, right? I mean, I don't know your story in regard to the local church, but <clears throat> I was fired as the senior pastor from uh, the last church where I was at. So I know what it's like to be hurt. Um, by, uh, by a group of men who think they're doing God's work. And it is a very difficult thing to recover from. So I was pursuing as the senior pastor to make discipleship the main thing. That was my goal. And it's not that, that the elders were opposed to discipleship, but the way that I was going about it 
was not something that they really were on board with. And so uh, in one sense, I've really paid a price for this message of relational discipleship mm. because I believe it's what Jesus modeled for us. I believe it's what actually works. And I really think that the reason why we see such little difference between someone who says they're a believer and someone who's not a believer is because we have largely been a left brain information driven Christianity. And we have neglected the relational dynamic that is essential. And it's more than just having a robust small group process in your church. Mm. That's important and that's a good thing. But uh, it comes down to doing life on life with people. And that is that happens so much more effectively in a smaller context. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.